We are live. Welcome to the Uncommon Ground Podcast. This is Justin Reed. I apologize for the uh, the break that we've been taking, but I we're still on break. But I wanted to connect with two really good friends of mine and talk about the recent events that have gone on, especially this last week. Um, I think it's important that we as a people continue just to have open discussions and have discussions that we can just share ideas because if we continue to operate on a mindset that we're all against each other, um, nothing good is going to come from that. So I brought, or I have, I asked two very good friends of mine to sit down with me and just discuss from a perspective that I think is probably the most the 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 perspective that's going to be the most effective when it operates correctly or when it operates optimally um my friends Jesse Summers and Manny Arango I work with them in One Life Student Ministries um it is the youth ministry at World Overcomers Christian Church and um we interact with at least 200 kids a week um uh, from raleigh really outside of raleigh all the way stretching back towards chapel hill and towards hillsborough that way um so we interact with a massive group of kids from a bunch of different demographics and we wanted to talk about just some things that are on our minds um so really quickly before we jump in I'm going to have them both introduce themselves. What's up, everybody? My name is Manny Arango. I'm the youth pastor at World Overcomers Christian Church, um, and I love Justin Reed. <laughs> hey, guys, this is Jesse Summers, um, just uh, a good friend of Justin Reed's, and I'm finding it a pleasure to be here on his podcast today and uh, just look forward to the discussion that we're about to have. Dope. Um. Cool. Let me let me get my notes up. Um. So today we are just gonna kind of decompress about what's going on this week, and to to open up. What are your personal reactions as far as the entire week? Because it was it was it was interesting to see the entire week transpire. Looking at it from a macro level, if you look at each individual day. You can probably pick out your feelings, but looking at the entire week as one day, it was one hashtag. And then the next day, it was a a bigger hashtag. Yeah. And then the next day, it was an even larger hashtag. So it it raises the question, what what were your immediate reactions? Man, I think that for so many of us being millennials, it's almost like social media has a exponential ability to create emotions Mm -hmm. and so you're not just responding in in you in your mind in a vacuum but you're responding to how other people are responding Mm -hmm. so everything from you know the first day obviously you know the big hashtag is alton sterling and clicking the hashtag (laughs) going seeing what other people are saying and then for me Wanting to know 
what are people that I know? What are they saying on social media? Right. And going on Twitter, and I mean, I'm a pastor. And so the first thing I did was go on other pastors' social media <laughs> accounts to see what they're saying. Yeah. Black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to know what my black peers are saying. And then I want to know what are white people saying yeah. on social media. So it's so social media creates this thing where I'm not just reacting in and of myself, mm. but I'm reacting to how other people are reacting. Yeah. So the moment someone posts all lives matter, now I'm reacting to how <laughs> someone has reacted. Yeah. So now I'm mad. Now I'm angry yeah. that someone is not identifying the issue as black lives mattering. Mm-hmm. So it's so funny that social media changes the way that we even respond to things because it's almost like we're responding in concert yeah, and responding to each other responding. And so it's, there's layers of frustration. Mm-hmm. There's the frustration and the confusion of an event. And then there's the anger about what certain people have to say about it. Yeah. It's just layered in, in, it's like our, I don't think our parents' generation had to, had to deal with that as quickly. Right. You may hear something like later on, like someone may say something verbally on the radio, on the radio, you know what I mean? Or in a grocery store or whatever. Yeah. But the quickness of how fast news gets relayed the mediums in which it's used, you know, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, you know, I follow CNN on Twitter. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm, me and my wife could be in the same room and we're showing each other, each other, like our phones. Yeah. So the way that you react, it's almost like an explosion of emotions based on being able to, and then not just judging people based on what they say. So, like, there are times where I had to text people, <laughs> like, hey, you tweeted such and such. Mm-hmm. And before I get mad that you tweeted that, I need you to explain what you meant. Yeah. So, it's just so layered. <clears throat> it's so layered. Um, yeah. Well, for myself, um, I don't spend as much time on social media. Um, but, of course, anytime anything this tragic happens, you can't help but dive in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first time I saw the video um, of Alton Sterling, I was, I had just woken up and um, Sarah, my wife was making breakfast and I was just laying there scrolling through Instagram and, and just before I saw the video play out, I just knew, I knew what the end result was mm-hmm. and I was instantly frustrated um, just as I watched it, just heartbroken and, you know, I don't, I don't have kids yet and I know that we'll get into this, but mm-hmm. I don't have kids yet. But, um, and to be clear, I'm a white male and my wife is a black female. And so one day I will have black children mm-hmm. and I was just instantly just nervous and afraid for their future. Right. And, um, and of course I just always look at situations 
uh, like the events that have uh, happened this week and just think, man, could this be somebody I know? Yeah. Could it potentially be a close friend of mine? Yeah. Um, I grew up, I mean, in just from the time I was in elementary school to high school to um, my life now, just very multicultural. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when we were younger, either things like this weren't happening as often or we weren't as aware of them right. because social media has obviously evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, but anytime anything like that happens, I just go straight to the to the thought of, man, what if this was somebody that I know? Um, obviously, I would be even more uh, affected personally, mm-hmm. but the amount of heartbreak that that ensues when something like that does happen is, is still the same. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I said it before that we interact with, you know, 200 students a week, mm-hmm. um, from different, you know, areas, from different backgrounds from different cultures. What are some things that moving forward that are going to be kind of expressed in our country and our culture as a youth ministry and talking to other youth ministers? Like what are some things that we as a youth ministry can do to really protect our students, um, in a proactive manner, not, not being reactive saying you have to watch out for yourself, like, mm. but being proactive, what are some things that we can share with, with kids that aren't, that with kids that aren't our own, mm. um, to help them kind of navigate in just today's world? That's a loaded question. And it's one yeah. that I'm processing myself. Yeah. How do we prepare teenagers to live in, in the world that we live in? Mm-hmm. I think that number one, I think preparing students with a self-esteem that is secure enough to face trial mm. and tribulation. I think that I, I think that the racial climate in America is very, very difficult. If a black student is insecure about themselves being black, mm-hmm. I think that wow. one of the things that, you know, my parent, I remember my dad telling me this, you know, and my dad saying to me, you know, son, you know that you have to get better grades. I went to an all white high school. Yeah. I mean, I went to an all white middle school and an all white high school. And I remember my father telling me, you know, you have to get better grades than all of your white friends if teachers are going to think you're just as smart as them mm-hmm. that that for many of my friends that are black and for our kids right now that instilling in them a sense of like you have to overachieve mm-hmm. and my dad i remember my father saying to me you know just small stuff like you're going to you're you're not going to put your name on your homework until after you're done with it Cause I want you to never put your name on something you're not proud of. Yeah. Like you need, you need to be proud of your work and you need to be proud that you're on the honor roll as a black kid. And you need to be proud that you have better grades than everybody. Like, and I remember the first time a teacher tried to tell my father and my mother that I had ADHD. I remember my dad saying, you're never going to let a white person label you with any, any learning disability. Right. Like, 
And my dad in that moment was protecting my self-esteem. Mm -hmm. He was protecting my, he was protecting me from an inferiority complex. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very, very, very important to instill into black teenagers that your skin is beautiful, that your hair is beautiful, yeah. mm -hmm. that you being black is an awesome thing. Mm -hmm. We're not colorblind. And redefining what being a black teenager is. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I remember getting, I'd go to school. I went to school an hour and a half away from my neighborhood. I grew up in an all black neighborhood and I went to an all white school. And I remember, you know, being on honor roll and my black friends making fun of me for that. Yeah. And I think that that's something in our culture that we have to change. I remember just being super articulate and black, my black friends making fun of me. Like, oh, you talk white. Wow. And I think that that's something in our culture that we have to begin to eliminate. I think that's redefining what it means to be black, to be excellent, to be intelligent. And I think that if our, if our teenagers are going to make it, they need to start to understand that being black doesn't mean being dumb. It doesn't mean if we're going to survive in America and this time, our kids need to be bright, sharp, and proud of being all of those things. Right. That's to me. That's that's where I start. You, you want me to? Because PM said a lot. You want me to kind of rephrase it? Well, well, just reiterate the question. Yeah, um, please. The question is really the, like, what what do we what do we tell our students in one life? And this is this is just speaking generally, so that people that are listening can then go into their communities and, and share it with, with teenagers and young people, you know, that they're around. What are some things that you would tell, you know, your small group mm -hmm. um, just to keep them aware of the world that they live in today? Yeah. Well, I, I agree a lot with uh, what PM said. I Well, let me be clear. I don't disagree with anything that PM said. Mm -hmm. and, um, within within the last year I've had to take a totally different perspective um, when I'm hanging out with these young black men um, which is what my small group is full of um, and I just hadn't taken I guess I hadn't taken the time to really consider the fact that they're going to go through things that I just never had to worry about. Yeah. Just never had to worry about. Mm -hmm. um, we were talking a little bit off air and, and I was recalling how uh, my father would, he would coach me on how to interact with a police officer. And, uh, you know, his advice was always say, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And I know that the advice that I give the guys that I am mentoring, that I'm spending t time around can't be that simple. Yeah. It just won't be that simple. Um, but the encouragement factor is key. Um, and just reiterating that no matter your circumstance, 
no matter where you're from, and certainly no matter the color of your skin, you can be excellent mm-hmm. in whatever you decide to be, mm-hmm. uh, whatever route you decide to take uh, professionally. Um, so I, for me, it's it's really a time of of reflection. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it it makes me think, how would I? have these conversations with these students Mm. you know how would i continue to encourage them um more intentionally uh than i believe i try to on a daily and weekly basis yeah um so going going off on a similar vein um i was gonna hold it as a surprise that you were white until i asked the question Um, (laughs) cats out the bed (laughs) but um you know you you are going to have black children yeah. one day. What, what do you tell your kids about opera? Cause I know that the messaging is going to be a little bit different and it's going to be a little bit more personal. What messaging would you tell your kids in operating in today's society? Even though you don't know the climate of when they'll be, you know, 15, 16, 17. Yeah. Um, there are just some, some fundamental things that what would you, how would you raise them to be, a black man. Hmm. At this moment in my life, mm. I do not know. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and Sarah, Sarah and I talk about on a consistent basis, the people that we want to spend time around and that we want to mentor us and why we mm. want them to mentor us. Um, and it's funny because, uh, I was thinking about it just this morning. And of course, in light of, uh, the, discussion we were going to have today and uh the message that pastor andy preached um i got to thinking who who should i be spending time around that is a father Mm. um to a young black man that can essentially coach me Mm -hmm. and teach me um how to raise a young black man or, or a young black woman um and there's certainly a few examples in our church, um, yeah. and whether it be uh, a black couple, whether it be a mixed couple, um, just how do you do that? And so, I mean, a personal mission of mine is to is to do that. I yeah. mean, you know, I'm I'm blessed to have uh, some phenomenal friends, but you know, not a lot of them have kids right now, yeah. and certainly none that they're having to have these serious conversations. Yeah. Um. So I. I'm certainly on the lookout for opportunities to learn um, and and understand what it would mean, especially as a white man, to 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 raise a young black man. Mm. It it's difficult. It's difficult right now to to even think about, um, but it is scary. Mm. And I think bit. it's even more difficult for Jesse because yeah. not only. There's a your kids are not just black; they are going to be biracial, yeah, which has a a entirely different component to it. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends that are biracial struggle with like, well, where do I fit in? Mm-hmm. Right, you know, am I black? Am I white? What like who are my friends? Like just identity, yeah. yeah, and fitting in and being accepted. And you know, my hope and prayer, even as a friend, is like, man, I hope we get to a place in America where. I hope in 20 years we're not still having this conversation. Amen. Yeah. 
I really, really hope that we're not still. Ha- I hope that our children will not have to sit around a podcast and talk about mm. two black men that were shot by police mm-hmm. in a week, uh, and then retaliation, and then police officers get. I I really hope and pray that we're not still having this conversation. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, the funny thing is, you know, because fatherhood is such a touchy topic in african-american families to start Mm -hmm. it's almost like me just being present (laughs) and a father yeah already gets me (laughs) lots of points yeah you know i think the question for me becomes how do i how do i father kids when i wasn't really fathered well Mm -hmm. you know my dad was very in and out of our home my dad was Obviously, the things that he did say to me stuck with me, like mm-hmm. sign sign your homework after you do it. Yeah. But, you know, I found out when I was 12 that my dad had been addicted to cocaine for since I was six months. And my dad, I mean, I caught my dad stealing stuff out of our apartment. I mean, my dad was a piece of work. Yeah. For me, it's always it's not been how do I father a black kid? It's been how do I father? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. How do I how do I provide something for someone that was not provided for me. And I think that there are a lot of black men in my age group where that is the question. How do I provide something? So in that sense, me and Jesse are in the same boat. Yeah. I'm having to figure out, well, how do I, how do I model for this human (laughs) what I never received? And for Jesse, it's like, well, how do I provide something for someone that I may not be able to completely relate to. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a black man to teach me how to talk to the police, right. but now I have to do that for someone. Yeah. And I think that that's a challenge in and of itself. How, how do I become a dad? And I, I think that you start to think about what's the, what is the role of a father in any mm. family? I think fathers provide a name. Fathers yeah. provide culture. Yeah. Fathers provide identity. Mm-hmm which provides self-esteem, security. And I think that stuff is vitally important. Fathers provide a standard by which their kids live. And to me, that is already giving any young black male a huge advantage. Mm -hmm. Like, no, 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 this is what it means to be an Arango. This is what it means to be a Summers. This This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be whatever mm. i think i can list the topics that i had to learn from other people that weren't my dad that would have helped me been a more successful african-american male things like how to check your credit mm. things <laughs> like how to build wealth things like how to save your money yeah things like how to not be in debt you know my parents taught me to get a credit card for emergencies mm. i'm not my you know i had phone bills in my name when i was seven you know like (laughs) just stupid stuff yeah and how and i then as an adult i had to learn i had to unlearn things that my parents taught me and relearn different habits about what it means to be excellent Mm. and be someone that not just black people but white people can look at as an example of leadership yeah in our country yeah um uh, there are like two things that i wanted to kind of go a little bit deeper on 
um i want to talk about leadership yeah and 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 specifically leadership and unity um one of the things that you and ab are doing uh ab is our assistant youth pastor here at world overcomers um you all have started a youth pastors network yeah and it's a network of youth pastors from around the city state yeah nation really um that are coming together to share strategies um share things that work share things that don't work yeah um and you are taking kind of a leadership role in that what are some things that um what are some things that that Christians can do in in a leadership capacity in mending our country and yeah. and this is something that both of you can answer that's huge um, because i think that you know the moral fiber of our of our country was really built on christianity mm-hmm. um you know people people try to argue that but it's undoubtedly built on Christianity. Yeah. The the institution of marriage, you know, that's a, that's a Christian mm-hmm. principle. What right. are some things that Christians can do in a leadership capacity um, on different levels, you mm-hmm. know, local, there are state, pa- like national pastors. What, what are some things that, that you as a Christian can do to help mend what's going on in our country? Yeah. I, this is a huge question and I'm probably going to, I'm going to try to not say too much. <laughs> Number one, I think, uh, just a leadership principle across the board doesn't matter if you're yellow, brown, purple, whatever. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. Uh, one of the my the leadership principle I live by is I can teach people what I know, but I can only reproduce who I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can only so as a leader, I have to be what I want to see. Yeah. That is the only way leadership works. I, I cannot lead Jesse or you into purity if my life is not pure yeah i can't tell you not to smoke if i'm smoking it's just not gonna work it's never gonna work and so with that in mind as a leader people need to see that my life embodies diversity Mm -hmm. and love for all people yeah which makes leadership more personal than political i think that sometimes we want to think about leadership from a top-down perspective well how can things change in the government or in the police system or Mm -hmm. whatever yeah but at the end of the day if i don't have white friends that i love and care about i'm not modeling diversity to anyone yeah i think that the thing that's made me the most sad in all of this the the week's tragedies is that it would be awesome if in this whole dark situation if the church was like a beacon of light yeah like look at us yeah yeah. look at us hey the world like hey you don't have it right we have it right yeah look at us we're going to church together Mm. we're integrated we love one Mm. another but no that's not the case Mm -hmm. and in the 60s martin luther king said 11 o'clock on sunday morning is the most segregated hour of american society wow and today at 2016 those words are still true yeah and so it's the reason why to be quite honest and this may be controversial the reason that the world or america does not listen to the church when it comes to marriage Mm -hmm. defining it or who can be married or what marriage is and is not the reason that the world the secular society doesn't listen to the church is because divorce rates with Christians are equal <laughs> to divorce rates with non-Christians. Wow. Yeah. So clearly the world looks at us and says, how can you tell us who should be married 
when you don't have it straight. Yeah. You haven't figured it out yourself. So you get the plank out of your own eye <laughs> and then you can get the speck out of the world's eye. Yeah. I think that the issue is that we are all upset, but then we go to our segregated churches every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we are not a we are not an example to the world of what racial unity racial harmony we're not an example of what those things look like yeah and so to me and i can say this to white leaders to black leaders there's give and take Mm -hmm. if you don't have the reason and i use this example all the time okay i don't walk around every day thinking about breast cancer i don't i don't breast cancer is an awful thing Mm -hmm. but i don't walk around thinking about it you know what would make me think about breast cancer if my mother-in-law got breast cancer, yeah. mm-hmm. if my wife got breast cancer, if my aunt or my mom got breast cancer, I would get a pink ribbon tied around everything that I have. Yeah. Most of the re- sometimes I really think sometimes white leadership in America, Christian white leadership doesn't really care about the plight of black people because you don't have black friends. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You, there's no one black in your life that reminds you. Hey, you're supposed to mourn with those who mourn. Yeah. You're supposed to love your neighbors. The problem is that we're not your neighbor. Mm. So you don't love me because we're not in the same neighborhood. You don't know me. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. And so for me, if as a black leader, white people cannot be out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. And as a white leader, black people cannot be out of sight, out of mind. The only way that we're ever going to pass the baton of faith to the next generation and that baton not be muddled with <laughs> racial division yeah. as if we fix it. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the only solution. And so you mentioned the bar. The thing that I love about the bar is that you can't tell what the dominant racial group is in the room. Yeah. Mm. And that's intentional. I intentionally reach out to black youth pastors and I intentionally reach out to white youth pastors. I've tried to reach out to like Hispanic youth pastors, but I can't find no websites for Hispanic <laughs> churches. I've seen a I've couple even, there. I've there, are, Googled, there are a couple of there. I've Googled Iglesia <laughs> a couple of times and I, I I can't find anything. But if you're a Hispanic youth pastor listening to this podcast, email me at orango at WOCConline.org and I'll personally invite you. But the reason that the groom is diverse is because that's what the kingdom looks like. Yeah. And we're not going to move forward. The until the church can be an example to our nation, then then the nation, the secular nation, is going to continue to look at us like you can't tell us what to do mm-hmm. until you master it first. Absolutely. Rephrase the question. Well, well, re- restate the question. Or is, or is there? No, I. <clears throat> Right in the line with what Manny was saying, that we have to lead by example, no matter which side of race we are on. Um, and and Manny is a phenomenal example of that. And myself, who is a who is a leader in in the ministry that Manny leads, um, and many others like myself and and you, Justin, um, have watched Manny, for example, lead by grace. Yeah. Um, and. I can certainly get into the benefits of, of what it means to lead by grace, but um, because we have a culture of leading by grace and having grace for one another, the benefit is clear, and mm-hmm. we are on the same page. And um, 
we you know enjoy being around each other enjoy working with one another yeah but just to to lead by example is such a powerful statement and i don't think that um like manny said oftentimes white leadership especially in the church um understands that mm-hmm. um i came from a church growing up was a, a small southern baptist church and rarely did i see a black person in our church yeah and when i would go to school and i spent i growing up i was often the minority in my schools yeah um which again i don't like the phrase colorblind because i wasn't yeah um and because i genuinely appreciate everyone for who they are i love the background i love the cultures right um i mean i it makes us all smarter to mm-hmm. to to draw from other people's experiences but yeah the the most powerful thing is is for us to lead by example especially as christians definitely and definitely. as part of the church yeah um another question because because this is this is also a this is a a race this is a racial issue but i want to also go a little bit further in and talk about uh, police community relations. Mm. Yeah. What can the church do, um, in your opinion, to better facilitate police community relations? Um, because I th- I feel like we talk a lot about, you know, prosperity, uh, whether it be in health or in money. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, I I feel like there are just some things we talk about. You know, loving your brother, but we don't talk about intentionally some of the things that that can hinder that love because yeah, you yeah. can say, you know, I can say love your brother, but if somebody does not interact with the police on a regular basis mm. and they have one bad interaction with them and all they see is, you know, what's on Facebook and what's on Twitter as far as the interactions that are filmed, mm-hmm. how can you better, how can the church better facilitate police community relations? Yeah. I mean, one of the, um, I think one of the things is knowing knowing who the police are in our mm-hmm. community, mm-hmm. which I can say right here, right now, I need to do a better job of. That's me as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are multiple programs that I think churches should know about. Stuff like the PALS program, where I remember um, even growing up, police officers coming to my school to talk yeah. to us. I remember knowing who the police officers were that mm-hmm. were around my neighborhood, but that's because my school was a liaison in that in those interactions taking place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think I think that teenagers knowing who the police officers are that serve their communities is a big, big, big deal. Because I remember, I think, I think that. Distance creates fear, mm-hmm. and we we can clearly point. see where fear is is getting us into. We could say, you know, all the white cops that have shot black men are racist, but what if they're afraid? Yeah, yeah. you know, and what if they don't need to be afraid? Now they may be afraid because they have preconceived notions about race in America, mm-hmm. but the only way to stop fear is by exposure Mm -hmm. and i think that our demographic of teenagers or rather police officers in our communities being pre-exposed to our teenagers 
before we're in a stressful situation mm-hmm. that may require any type of violent interaction is really, really, really necessary. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, yeah. I think one of the things that our senior pastor, Pastor Andy, has talked about is meeting with the police commissioner. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just a practical, hey, on a local government level saying, like, what are we going to do? Yeah, because this is this is our problem and your problem. How do we how do we keep police officers safe? Mm-hmm. How do we keep our kids safe and how do we create programs? I know the Durham police run a basketball league. Yeah. That in which they uh, they intentionally interact with teenagers with young people mm-hmm. and i think more stuff things like that are more and more necessary yeah creating intentional almost extracurricular activities in which police officers and teenagers have have better interaction um or yeah cool um before we close out um you know, we we disc- especially as we're getting ready to uh, go into flood conference. One of the things that we've been intentionally doing, um, and even before flood conference, was really having an intentional prayer mm. um, for the way that we live and the way that we just interact with people. What, especially after what's transpired this week, what is your prayer for Durham, for North Carolina, for the United States of America, for the world? What 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 what's what what is something that you're intentionally praying for right now? God, personally, um, I, it's going to get old after some point, but certainly unity. Mm-hmm. Um, what Manny just said about uh, fear being caused by distance, I I think is probably something I've I've never really understood because I there's rarely been distance between myself and other cultures yeah. and other races. Yeah. Um, and it's possibly, it's possibly why I get so confused when I see an incident like this occur. Mm-hmm. But as I thought about it earlier today, I was like, it's got, it's just got to be fear. Whatever, whatever causes that it's got to be fear. Um, and so the unity that, that, would ultimately bring commonality um, is is certainly my prayer um, you know amongst our our citizens in the and the police officers in our uh, city um, and just different cultures and different race throughout the country um, and and our government maybe just having a better understanding mm-hmm. of what causes it. And, and every city and every state is different. And so just getting a better pulse on, on the area mm-hmm. uh, and what your potential pitfalls are. Um, yeah, just unity overall. My prayer is the same prayer as Jesus, that the church would be one. Mm-hmm. And that when 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 the world sees the church, that we would reflect 
the unity of our Savior Jesus. Mm-hmm. To be very, very honest, like that's that's my prayer, is that the bride of Christ would be united and be one. And I think that we're getting there. Mm-hmm. I, I sometimes I'm like we're not, but then sometimes <laughs> I think, man, maybe mm-hmm. we are. Um, but I, I have to have hope that we are getting there. And really for the church of Jesus to begin to see the opportunity and tragedy mm-hmm. that there's an opportunity in tough, tough life circumstances mm-hmm. for us all to be closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sometimes tragedy makes us separate. I think that, and we can, sometimes I like to use examples that are completely not related. Um, there's statistics that show that like if, if a married couple has a kid and something goes wrong and that kid dies, that the couple could go two, one or two ways. Mm-hmm. They most times, sometimes it'll end in divorce. Mm. Like the death of a child will cause them to resent one another yeah. and, and leave each other or it could cause you to be closer together. Mm-hmm. Tragedy does that. Yeah. It either like completely separates or it brings us together. Mm-hmm. And I think that for us to recognize that there's opportunity and tragedy that, yeah, this is awful, but I have an opportunity to raise the standard for black excellence in my community. Mm-hmm. And I have the opportunity to reach to extend an olive branch to someone who doesn't look like me in another mm-hmm. community. And I hope that the church capitalizes on that. Definitely. Definitely. Um, we're getting ready to wrap up. And PM, I just want to ask you to close us out in prayer. Jesus, you're the God in whom we trust and whom we love. God, I ask that, that for everyone listening to this podcast, that they'd be full of faith. Faith in, in you. God, I know there's a lot of my black friends and black peers that think that Jesus is just some white man that we follow. That Jesus, I ask that you would make yourself relevant and known. That our God is not a God of color or race. That actually our God is a God who's always rooting for those who are in bondage. That you're the God that cares about those who don't have freedom and don't have justice. That you're a God that cares about the widow and the orphan. Yeah. And so God, for anyone who feels like a victim, God, I ask that you would make yourself known in, in your son, in the face of your son, Jesus. And uh, for all of us who do follow you, God, I ask that you would reveal yourself more clearly to us as the God of unity, as the God of grace, as the God who covers over a multitude of sins, as a God of forgiveness, as a God of reconciliation, Mm -hmm. as a God who gives chances when chances are not deserved. God, I ask that for every white or black person that has felt like the opposite race doesn't deserve any more chances. God, I ask that you would fill us with more grace and compassion. God, I ask that you would give us the humility that causes us to be able to pray in the right way. And God, I ask ultimately that you would use that you would use my race of people, black people. I don't think you brought us to this country for no reason. I don't think that we survived everything that we went through in this country for no reason. Mm-hmm. God, I thank you that the seed of spirituality that is deep within the soil of black lives that we would sow that seed into this nation and that you would heal our land god i ask that you would do all things through your son's name that you would um 
that you would show yourself strong, that you would show off, and that we would know that it's only you who brought about a great victory in our generation. We thank you, God, that the Goliath of racism is going to fall before we die. In Jesus' name Amen. we pray. Amen. Amen. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, look forward to the next episode. Um, but definitely consider everything that was talked about on this podcast. Um, this was this was for you guys, but this was also for us just to kind of unpack what's going on this week. Um, so looking to next week, just continue to have a great week. Love your neighbor. Be a leader. Unify. And um, do your part in, in creating America, a better America. Um, and with that, I'll sign out for uh, PM and Jesse. And uh, thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.